Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. have been talking about taking our God, our jobs and sh- loving it, right? <laughs> Which is not always easy to do. So over the last few weeks, we have seen, uh, Pastor John has talked about how much time we actually spend doing our jobs. 90,000 hours a lifetime. That's a lot of hours. That's a lot of time. And some of us may feel like our time is being wasted or our job doesn't matter. Like, what progress are we making? It's just another day, another dollar. But today we're going to be challenged to look at our jobs in a God-honoring way and not just a means to an end. Amen? So let's, before we get started, let's go ahead and say our corporate prayer on the screen behind us or behind me. Spirit of God, open my ears to hear, my eyes to see, my mind to understand, my heart to discern what you want to speak to me today. You have my full attention. Amen. Amen. So the last few weeks we've talked about God creating the earth and the fullness thereof. We've talked about uh, Adam and Eve and how they disobeyed God. They ate of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, sin entered in through Adam, and God judged both Adam and Eve. And they both were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Now, ever since then, man's, re- man's relationship with God was broken. At the time of that sin, our relationship with God was broken. Um, in fact, sin, the nature of sin is to separate us from God. It's really a small word with big consequences. And the thing is, is that we sin when we think our way is better than God's way. God has given us desires and good things, but when we use them outside of the design that God has planned for them, that's when we sin. And unfortunately, sin has a grave cost associated with it. We look at Romans 6.23, and it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, God wanted relationship with us so much that he sent his only son to earth to pay the ultimate price for us so that relationship can be stored between man and God. And that truly was a demonstration of love. Now, in order for us to be restored in our relationship with God, God had to first redeem us. And redemption is defined as the act of gaining or regaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. Now, the truth is we've racked up a lot of debt through sin. Can we all agree? 
I mean, if you looked at my rap sheet, it would be all the way down Jefferson Avenue. <laughs> okay? So I thank God for Jesus because if he did not save me, I know where I would be going, and it would not be good. Amen. So Jesus died the death that we should have died in order for us to live the lives that we were intended to live. What sin took away through Adam, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, restored. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 47 says, The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. And we see in Romans 5, 18 through 19, it says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Now, we can just stop right there. That is good news. I can shout on that alone. Amen. I need Jarvis to come back up in here and give me some shout music so I can cut a little step. That is incredible news. Adam and his sin literally shaped the trajectory for all mankind. But because of what Jesus Christ did for us, because of love, he changed our eternal destination forever so that we can live with God forever. That is the greatest news ever. Praise God. Now, God redeemed us through Jesus. John Wolford, the theologian and pastor, said, The work of redemption was accomplished by Jesus Christ in his death on the cross and has in view the payment of the price by a holy God for the deliverance of the believer from bondage and the burden of sin. In redemption, the sinner is set free from his condemnation and slavery to sin. Now that's good news. That should let us know that we can walk in the freedom that salvation affords us. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can walk freely, even though we have all fallen short, even though we have all sinned. We can walk boldly and we can walk freely in the, the knowledge that we have been redeemed through the Jesus Christ's blood. Now, since we have been redeemed, we should demonstrate that redemption wherever we go, including our jobs. Psalms 107.2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, turn to your neighbor and say, say so. No, no, no. See, y'all got to have some indignation in your voice. You got to turn to your neighbor and say, say so. Okay? Got to put your neck into it. Say so. Jesus Christ has redeemed us. He paid the price that we should have paid. So we should be bold enough 
and not afraid to say that we are the redeemed of the Lord. We should go wherever we are at and say so. We should live the lives that Jesus Christ demonstrated for us when he walked the earth. We should say so. Don't be afraid to lift your light for Jesus in your workplace. I'm excited, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm telling y'all. Now, before we go on, is my husband in here? He's not? Okay. All right. (laughs) I'm going to say so. Now, I wanted to give him a shout-out because tomorrow is his birthday. Praise God. So when y'all see him, wish him a happy birthday, okay? Oh, there he is. Is that my, my, that's my daughter? Okay. Where's your daddy? Tell him to get in here quickly. <laughs> we got to say so. Amen. <laughs> I love that man. That man led me to come back to Christ. I did not have a true relationship with Jesus until my husband let me know that I needed to repent because I was wild, y'all. I was, you know, I won't, that was pre-Jesus, amen. (laughs) Um, But at 17 years old, he led me back to Christ. So I married him. Praise God. So I'm so appreciative for him for that. Is he here yet? Okay. Okay. Well, y'all wish him happy birthday. Praise God. (laughs) So we should let our light, let our lives reflect the fact that we've been redeemed by Jesus. And one way you can redeem your work through Jesus Christ is to work in light of your redemption. Now, our workplace, whether it's a building or outside or even at home, is a perfect environment for us to reflect the light of Christ and show our redemption in our workplaces. Now, how do we do that practically? So this doesn't mean be crazy Christian at your job, okay? So y'all know who I'm talking about. You know, those, those Christians that love Jesus they're really zealous, and they beat everybody over the head with the Bible. Everybody got one. And if you don't know who it is, it might be you. Okay? <laughs> Just get it. <laughs> Love y'all. But we should be the ones that live our lives in such a way that draws people to Christ. We shouldn't be condemning people, but we should let them know that there is one that's greater than us that loves them dearly. And so when we do that in our workplaces, we draw people to him instead of beating them over the head with the Bible and drawing them away from him. So we have to be cognizant of how we approach people at our workplaces and how we exemplify Jesus Christ. Another way we can practically live in light of redemption at our jobs is to stay away from gossip and inappropriate conversations. Can I get an amen on that? And it's so hard to do because sometimes people just walk up to you and just start talking. And you don't want to be rude, but you know it's not the best conversation to be in. Praise God. Happy birthday. (laughs) Y'all good. Happy birthday, husband. We love you so much. (laughs) 
Love you, baby. I pray. (laughs) Praise God for you. And I pray that you have another 41 years on earth with me. Amen. Praise God. All right, let's make it happen. (laughs) So let's turn to Ephesians and let Ephesians encourage us this morning. Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up of others according to their needs, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Look, I was first partaker of this, okay? So I didn't already got ate up. Now, it's easy to get caught up in workplace banter, but the thing is, is that people are looking at us. You may not know that they're looking at you, but they're looking at you. And the truth is, is if you can't say it and Jesus be standing right beside you, then you probably shouldn't say it. The other thing to remember is that God is omnipresent. So he is everywhere at the same time, including your conversation. So he's there anyway, listening to you. So be mindful of that. Amen. (laughs) So we have been strategically placed at our jobs to infiltrate systems, to illuminate darkness and imitate Jesus. And in order to infiltrate systems within our jobs, we first have to understand the systems that are in place. And a system is a set of principles or procedures according to which something is done an organized framework or method, and it is also a set of things working together as parts of a mechanism or an interconnecting network. Now, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. You're able to walk into any environment, and you're able to tell if there is a system that's in place that's bad or if there's a system in place that's good. And so with your Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, he will show you all things. And so God may be showing you that there are policies and practices in place at your job that may be detrimental to the company. It may be detrimental to the employees. It may set bad morale or a bad example. And he may be calling you to put, to bring about change in that culture. He may want to use you to speak truth to power in order to bring about change in your workplace which is not an easy thing to do. You have to know that it is God telling you to do that. But the thing is, if God tells you to do it, then he's responsible for it. Now we see in the story of Esther and her cousin Mordecai as being a great example of how to infiltrate systems. And it also would be a great storyline for a soap opera. I'm just saying. Real housewives ain't got nothing on this, I'm just saying. So just to give you a little bit of background information, we have King Xerxes. He is the king of Persia. He has a banquet for 180 days. He has all of the noblemen and the officials from all the provinces in his empire come through. And then at the end of those 180 days, he has another banquet for just the townspeople, and that lasts seven days. His wife, Queen Vashti, has a banquet also during those seven days, but it's just for the women. On the seventh day, King Xerxes, the Bible says, was high in spirits with wine, which means he was drunk, or this generation would say he was lit. 
okay? Now, he sends for Queen Vashti because Vashti was a beautiful woman, and he wanted his boys that he was hanging with to take a look at his chick, okay? So the messages go to Vashti, and she says, I ain't coming. So she, and let me give you some context. You didn't refuse the king's invitation during those days. That was grounds for dismissal, death, all of the above. So the messengers went back to King Xerxes and told him what she said. And immediately he became angry. And later on, he removed Vashti from the throne of queen and removed her from the palace. Amen. So then he set out a call for all of the beautiful young women in the province uh, so that he can replace her as queen. So eventually, Esther was, after a long process, she was selected as queen of Persia. Now, she has a cousin named Mordecai, and they were both Jews. Mordecai was an older cousin of hers, took her in and, and cared for her and raised her, right? So she became queen. He also got a job at the palace as well. Now, we look in Esther 2, 21 through 23. Now, the other thing is that Mordecai told her not to disclose her nationality. He told her, don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. All right, let's look at verse 21 through 23. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, Two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thana, which sounds like an Avengers character, by the way, <laughs> and, and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at the king, at King Xerxes, and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. King Xerxes was a G. <laughs> yeah, he didn't play. So we see here how Mordecai and Esther were strategically placed at the palace to infiltrate a system that involved a murderous plot against the king. So this was not the only time that God used Esther and Mordecai to infiltrate the system to thwart a murderous plot. Let's look at chapter 3. It talks about a man named Haman, who was the most powerful man in the empire. He was a powerful official that King Xerxes appointed. And give you some more context, it was customary at that time for those that were in lower rank of someone to bow to those that were in higher rank as a sign of respect. Now, Mordecai being a Jew, he bowed to God. He did not bow to man, so he did not bow to Haman. Esther 3, 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough 
to lay hands on Mordecai alone. And these aren't holy hands, by the way. Okay. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. And let's skip down to verse 8 through 11. Verses 8 through 11. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people. They refuse to obey the laws of the king, so it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the, the king, issue a decree that they may be destroyed, and I will give you 10, excuse me, 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited into the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamandatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do as you see fit. Now, because Haman had manipulated King Xerxes, there was a plan in place that was not only going to kill all of the Jews, but also his wife and her cousin Mordecai. Now, at this point, Esther hadn't seen King Xerxes in a month. And she knew that if she approached Xerxes without an invitation, that was also grounds for death. But she knew that in this moment, she had to be brave. And Mordecai encourages her in chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if or perhaps you were made queens for such a time as this. Esther realized that God brought her to the palace to not only infiltrate systems, but to illuminate darkness. God has also put you at your job to illuminate darkness as well. Now, there may be things going on at your job that may be unethical, oppressive, maybe even illegal. But it takes strength and courage to be able to stand up to management and authority in a respectful way to call out those things that may be in disorder. And God will give you the strength and the wisdom to be able to address those things in those areas of darkness at your job. Now, Queen Esther took a big risk, okay? But she knew that God was with her. And so she was able to go to the king and request his presence at a banquet that she was throwing for him and Haman. And she did this twice. And at the second banquet, she dropped the bomb, y'all. She told King Xerxes that Haman was trying to kill her and her people. Let's look at Esther chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, and the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. 
Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king, <clears throat> excuse me, grant my request. I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people, I have been, so, for me, for, excuse me, for my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet. For that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall right there. Told y'all this is better than real housewife. Told y'all. So then Haman, the king jumped. Okay, Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. And then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the garden, the palace garden. Esther, verse uh, 7, 9 through 10 says, Then Herbana, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger was subsided. You don't play with God's people, number one. <laughs> God will redeem you and vindicate you. But after Haman was impaled on the gallows or the sharpened pole, King Xerxes gave his property over to Queen Esther, and then Esther gave it over to Mordecai. Now, we see that Esther used her position of influence to be an advocate for her people and even a deliverer for them. Her and Mordecai infiltrated an oppressive system, a murderous system, and illuminated darkness and empowered their people to be able to fight against the attacks that were against them during that time based on the original decree. Both Esther and Mordecai changed the atmosphere, and they didn't let it change them. Just as God redeemed the work of Queen Esther and Mordecai in the palace to bless his people, he desires to do the same thing through you. Now, because we have been redeemed through Jesus Christ, we need to imitate Jesus Christ in our workplaces. Jesus was a carpenter. That was his profession. He was hardworking. He was integral. He stood up for injustice, and he stood on righteousness, and all of that was wrapped in love. That is how we're supposed to present ourselves everywhere we go, including on our jobs. That was a part of his mission. And we can redeem our work by exchanging our time and our talent for the opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ in our workplaces. Let's look at John 13, 34 through 35. It says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
And this is how God wants us to make him known at work, by showing love one to another. He wants us to show love to those who are hard to love. Have you ever had a supervisor or a coworker that's been hard to love? Lord knows I have. <laughs> or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and your children are making it such that it's hard to love them. I've been there too. <laughs> it's during those times that God wants to use us to love those people that are, quote-unquote, unlovable. It's those times where he uses those times to refine us and uses those moments as sandpaper to rub and to, to scrub away those rough areas, those places where we may have been hardened or resistant. God will use those people that are right there by you and, and, and try to get those impurities out of you. So be receptive to those times when God wants to refine you because God wants to refine the redeemed. Now in John 13, 34 through 35, I'm sorry, it says, um, I'm sorry, that's the wrong scripture. I was thinking of something else. But when I think about sandpaper, I'm thinking about how God smooths those edges off of us, and then that residue leaves us, and then you can't even tell what we used to be after those smooth edges are, are smoothed away. After God uses that process of refinement, he uses that to purge us so that we present as something better. Those times, they don't feel good to us, but they're good for us. So allow God to refine you through your job. Jarvis, you can come up. Now, don't just focus on the work. Focus on how you do the work. I used to be a health inspector several years ago, and that was a interesting job because I had some good days and I had some bad days. Usually people weren't very receptive to health inspectors. But I went on this inspection one day to a daycare and the lady that owned the daycare was talking to me and we were just having a conversation and she said that she had cancer. And the Holy Spirit told me to pray for this woman. Now, this was really unorthodox. We don't just have praying health inspectors all over the place. But the Holy Spirit prompted me to pray for her. So I asked her, hey, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. And I was able to pray for her. And that let me know that my job was more than just a job. It was an assignment. See, the thing is that throughout my career, I have been able to pray for people have been able to encourage my coworkers and my supervisors and be able to speak truth to them because the Holy Spirit was prompting me to do so so that I can infiltrate systems, so that I can illuminate darkness and imitate Jesus Christ at those times. And I realized that the purpose wasn't in the paycheck. The purpose was in the promise. And the promise is the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's easy to get caught up in, oh, I'm just making money, you know, but God wants, a, wants us to understand his greater purpose. We are not just here to just work 
till we're 65 and then die. God wants us, he wants to use us throughout the whole journey to draw people to him. Now, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is not just words that we should use, but it's actions that we should put in place. We can make work worth it by pointing those around us to Jesus, making sure that they understand the true plan of salvation, that we were sinners. And because we sinned, there was a price to be paid. And Jesus Christ paid that price. Jesus Christ was sinless, but he shed his precious blood for us so that we can have restored relationship with God, so that we can be made whole, so that we can be redeemed. The truth is all of us are in need of a savior, every single last one of us. But the truth is that sin is a God-given desire that we've turned and we've used outside of his design. And God wants to restore us back to our original intent to be fruitful and to be blessed. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.